Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And today, I hope first generation Korean Americans hear this. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast.、Um, today, we're talking to the first generation Korean Americans or immigrants.、Um, and today, I have a very special guest.、Uh, he is a great friend, he is an、uh, older role model. He is a A mentor. He's my pastor, co laborer in, in Christ's kingdom.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's Pastor John Namu Kim. Hello. Hey, David. Hello.、Um, hello. Honored to be on your podcast. Oh, thank you so much for coming. And, you know, I think this is the first time that a guest、um, approached me with a specific audience that they wanted to address. Yes. So I'm super excited and thankful for that because, yeah, this one, it was. Uh, Namu Hyung saying, Hey, like, it would be great if we could talk to the first gen,、mm-hmm. right? So, b- before we get into the topic, though, can you just give us a little bit of a background on、uh, who you are, what you do? Yes.、Yeah. Um, so、But actually, yeah. before, yeah. can you tell us why your nickname is Namu for those of <laughs> those of the people who don't know what that means? Sure, sure.、Um, back when I was in middle school,、um, this is a funny story. We were actually at a bowling alley, and back in the day, they didn't have the The digital kind of name keypad entry things.、Uh-huh. But when that first got invented, we were like, oh, this is amazing. We could like <laughs> make our own names.、Yeah. And my best friend, John, because、um, his name is John and my real name is John,、right. uh, didn't want us to have the same name. So he actually just put up there, oh, this is Tree Boy. Because <laughs>、uh, at that time,、um, I cared less about my hygiene.、Uh-huh. And so I literally came out to this time. It was like a church outing or something. And、uh, I came out with like with my hair in a wild, kind of frayed, like kind of puffed out、uh-huh. uh, manner.、Um, I was six feet, two inches tall,、right. and towered over people. And so he just called me Tree Boy. And then、um, it just kind of stuck.、Mm. Like he just kept calling me that.、Yeah. And I was like, oh, Tree Boy sounds kind of weird. So I'm just going to go with Namu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So shout out to John Song.、Um, <laughs> He's the one that gave me the nickname. And then it just kind of stuck. It was like an easy name for people to say. Right. And so I'd be like, yo, I'm Namu. I think a lot of people just assume it's because you're super tall. I think、yeah. a lot of people don't know the, the Afro part of the story <laughs> and how that added to it. Yeah. yeah. He said, like, the top of my head looked like a, a tree in bloom. <laughs>、awesome. But yeah, yeah, that's where my nickname came from.、Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you look at my Facebook profile, I also include my Korean name in there because、mm-hmm. my Korean name is Kim Tong In. Yeah. But、um, that's my legal name, technically, here、right. in the States.、Um, but yeah, that Korean heritage is still important to me. Yeah.、Um, it's a part of who I am, part of the identity、um, of yeah, my family and, and who I am. But just for background's sake,、um, I was actually born in South Korea.、Uh, I was born、mm-hmm. in Seoul. And then、um, my parents actually came to the States with me、uh, when I was three months old. So, I actually know the date of my immigration. It was actually three months to the day、oh, that I、wow. was born. Yeah, so August 30th, 1985,、mm. uh, is when my parents came. We actually went to Chicago first. My mom had an older sister who was already living there.、Mm. And she was kind of back in the 80s.、Um, you could get a visa in, or temporary visa into the, the country if you had a family member who、yeah. would sign off for you. Yeah, yeah.、Um, so, we actually came there first. Uh, but we only stayed there for a few months because my father's biological mother, my, my grandmother, 
lived in New York. Mm. And so she told us to come out to New York. And so my parents took me and we moved to New York. And then uh, she, she, my grandma lived in Manhattan, but we lived in the Bronx. Mm. And so that's where I grew up. So yeah, for background's sake, I grew up in the New York, New Jersey area mm. uh, until about middle school. Then um, we moved down to Georgia, which is where we are right now. Right. Um, 1998, um, and I've been living here since then. Um, yeah, went to high school in the mm. suburbs of Atlanta. Um, you know, I'm kind of surprised to hear that you moved here when you were only three months old, because yeah. your Korean, I would say, is pretty above average for people kind of in our generation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's, I think that's part of the story too, because. Um, yeah, my parents were, they were in their 20s when they moved here. And so the English mm. language was not taught in Korean schools back then. Right, right. And so in a lot of like life situations, I would have to be their interpreter. Right. And so we would have to communicate, you know, like even like calling the phone company about a phone bill or like a, calling the, the electric company about a, a bill or right. talking to like even like a landlord office manager about... You know, filling out a contract for a rent rental agreement, mm -hmm. like things like that. I remember situations where my mom would say, "You have to go with me, mm -hmm. and you're gonna tell them what I say." And so that communication was necessary. Right. Right. You know? Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, um, like, what do you do? Like, because oh, right. <laughs> I I alluded to it a little bit yes. in the introduction, Pastor yes. John Kim, and I think this part of it, like, what you do as as your vocation. Um, does probably influence a lot of your thinking mm. because of your interactions with the different uh, people groups. So yeah, yeah can you, you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, so I'm currently the youth and EM pastor at Sugar Love Korean Baptist Church. Uh, I've been there uh, as a member for 15 years wow. um, since late 2004, um, but I've been in the ministry serving on the team as a staff member since January 2010. Mm. And so... Yeah, at the completion of this year, it would be a full 10 years. So, so actually, I've never, I've never asked you this before, but you mm -hmm. know, remember when I first joined youth group? Yes. Was that like right w when you had started like taking on the role of a youth pastor? Yeah, it was like a, a oh, year. Oh, okay. Like, I remember you came 2010, 11-ish. It was 10. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. But then I don't know if it was January. It might have been a little later. Yeah. But yeah, it was in 2010. Because I remember that first summer, 2010 mm -hmm. summer, is when our church had our first international mission trip, uh -huh. and it was to Haiti, uh -huh. and we went together. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Yeah. So that 2010 was when I first started oh, as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So I was a newbie back then. <laughs> you didn't seem like it. <laughs> I was oh. just, I, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was just hanging out with young people, yeah. and I was a young person. So, yeah, yeah, man, good times, good times. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, awesome. Thank you so much for your, your background um, there. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into the uh, meat of today's topic. Yeah. Um, I think first thing we have to do, because we're addressing the first generation Korean Americans, Yeah. Um, if you're not Korean American, you don't know that there are like different generations, right? Mm -hmm. So should we define what, like kind of the difference between first and second? I think there's probably like third now too, but yeah. I feel like second and third kind of get lumped into the same category. Right. So, yeah, this, this, since first and second have the most distinct characteristics let's, mm -hmm. let's talk about those a little bit yeah so i mean for me um i mean i have done some research at times mm -hmm. through uh, my seminary education and 
you know, first generation is really defined as um, immigrating to another country mm. uh, in, your, in adulthood. Um, people who go to another country, or specifically this case, who come to the U.S., mm -hmm. and they're not here for the purpose of schooling. They're here for the purpose of, you know, finding opportunities for work. Right. Um, so if you do come, like, let's say, I mean, there are situations where um, people in their 20s or 30s might come here first, mm -hmm. But then their parents come after them. Like the, let's say they come to the states first, establish themselves, and then they're able to invite um, maybe like an uncle or or their father or their mother to come live with them. Mm. So technically, even though they're the children, um, they're still first generation because so, yeah. they're the ones who are coming here, and and their parents would still be considered first generation as well, right? Because they're coming in adulthood. Um, but the the differentiation is because. If you come here for schooling mm -hmm. as like a international student, uh, there's a slight differentiation because, you know, after your studies, then that gives you the, the, the kind of the key to go find your occupation, your career. Right. And then those opportunities can happen here in the States or there are many who go return back, let's say, to South Korea yeah. to use that degree or the education uh, in whatever field they want. Mm -hmm. So when they come as a student, uh, it's technically not a first generation. Well, I, it is first generation, but um, you get kind of lumped into the 1.5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's there's a kind of blurred lines there. Because, it is. I mean, for both you and I, because we were born in South Korea, mm -hmm. we're technically not second generation because we weren't born, born here. here. Yeah. But we most definitely identify more with the second generation. Of course. Right, so yeah. And you get into this weird phase of 1.5. Yeah. <laughs> You're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I've always asked this question. If I am a 1.5, then when my children are born, are they 2.5 uh. <laughs> or are they third generation? Right, right. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of technical, but yes, if you are a child mm -hmm. of a person who immigrates here uh, for the purpose of work, yeah. Um, then yeah, you kind of, put in this weird place right it's kind of you're not fully second generation because you weren't born here mm -hmm. you don't have the rights of an american citizen until you go through a citizenship process mm -hmm. but yeah you're a 1.5 generation right and i always say this jokingly because i came here at three months old i always call myself a 1.9 generation <laughs> right because you're such little time spent yeah in korea. so little yeah. time spent in korea is only 0.1 of me that's right. like uh the korean you know yeah, yeah yeah so yeah that laying down the uh the kind of the technical definition mm -hmm. um i mean are there some identifiable characteristics in like the personality or the way that they operate or anything like that that you think distinguishes first and second generation um i mean it's not always you know for everyone but right, generally right. Mm -hmm. uh, in my experience a lot of the first generation they have a hard time picking up the english language yeah. Um, they still live in a lifestyle that reminds them of 1960s, 70s, 80s Korea. Mm. Um, I've heard it even said that even first generation people who live in the States now, when they go back to Korea, they still don't fit in. Oh, yeah. Because when you go back post 2000, Korea went through such a cultural revolution, right. such a change, economic revolution, mm -hmm. you know, um, that even those who came here in the 70s and 80s, um, they're just kind of frozen in time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like all of their mentalities, all of their, their, even their culture, the way that they want to interact with the world, mm. is just kind of set in that way. So, I mean, that's one thing I think, the language thing and then yeah. the 
cultural identity thing um, that really distinguishes the first generation. Right. Yeah. And I think um, you brought up a good point. I think Korea, South Korea might be unique Mm -hmm. in the fact that there are generations that are still living right now that one generation has seen like wartime extreme poverty right whereas the next generation and like a few generations after they all all they know is prosperity right so yeah like I, what like the 60s south korea would probably have been defined as like a developing country yes right very uh probably one of the i don't know the statistics but very poor right yeah. and now like south korea is kind of a economic yeah. At least in the top 10, I would think. Yeah, part of the G20 now. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, in the top 10. Top, top 20, top 10, yeah. yeah. So it's a very stark contrast. And yeah. I think um, the first generation in, in America, like you said, because they immigrated in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they have that mindset. Whereas we've grown up with like K-pop, like H.O.T. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like seeing like Gangnam style, seeing like samsung lg tvs taking over and hyundai Mm. kias like it's a like my i remember my parents Mm. used to get excited when they would see korean products on like american tv exactly but now it's like not a big so prevalent yeah yeah so it's not a big deal at all yeah so it's that i think probably we'll get into it more as we talk about it but Mm -hmm. i think that again influences and uh impacts the differences i think the two generations have yeah in our mentality too Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah let's let's just let's dive right in let's okay. talk about the let's things that you want to talk to the first gen about yeah so first thing is uh in that process of uh leaving your home country mm-hmm. and coming to a foreign country and although there um i mean if we just talk about waves of immigration from korea mm-hmm. um there was an early wave of small number of just like laborers and workers mm-hmm. um around the late 1890s and they came more to Hawaii as like pineapple farmers. Mm. Um, but a lot of that didn't really, I mean, they did stay there. Um, but we don't see a lot of that, that population here in the mainland. Right. Um, and then there was a wave of um, actually Korean women who married American GIs, mm. soldiers, mm-hmm. post-Korean War. And then that there was a wave that came with them in the 60s. Mm. Um, but Korean immigration really didn't really flourish until the 70s. Okay. Um, and in the 70s, uh, I think there was some kind of immigration law that was enacted that really opened up the doors here in America. Because mm. if you look in the early 1920s, like there were specific laws that prohibited uh, Chinese and Asian Americans from immigrating here. Right. Like America was very against Asians being here. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 70s, that opened up. So the, the bulk of the immigration from Korea and even other Asian countries started in the 70s. Mm. Um, so that's when it wasn't like the early immigration waves where it was male only or female only, but it was actually families that started coming. Mm. And people who were even educated in Korea but coming for opportunities here, or they were educated in Korea and they were looking for further education here. Mm. So that just... That whole mentality of leaving your home country, yeah. coming to a foreign country, it must have been hard. Oh, yeah. Like, and so the first thing that I really want to say to the first generation is, I respect you. Yeah. Like, I respect your guts, um, your willingness and your desire um, 
and, and it's usually economic mm -hmm. but there were some other things there were some other people who didn't like the the, the, the state of korea mm. uh, maybe politically uh, there were a lot of uh, if you talk to a lot of older adults you know they talk about in the university campuses there were a lot of demonstrations and and protests about uh, different political leaders or schemes uh, in the 70s and 80s um, but I, I respect them for coming here um, if I think about it now having been raised in America if you told me that I had to leave America to find better opportunities in another country let's say I mean, not Canada, okay, or, or like Australia. Right. I mean, this, I mean, there's differences, but it's too similar. But let's say I had to go to Brazil uh, or like, yeah. I don't know, like Turkey or Germany or something. Like Portugal. Yeah. It was non-English yeah. speaking, yeah. I mean, to think about having to move myself there and then like having to dive into a new culture, not speaking my native language, mm -hmm. um, it would be huge. Like, it, it would be a huge risk. Yeah, and, and it would be uh, a big shift and a big change to try to get myself and my family assimilated to that new culture. Yeah. So if you think about it in those terms, it took a lot of guts for them to get to come over here. Right. And yeah. and even though there were waves of people coming together, um, there was no assurance that you could find a Korean community here. Um, and even if you did, life was still going to be totally different from what they grew up with. Yeah, for sure. And I also think about this a lot of times. Like when we grow up in America, like when we think about our future and our dreams, mm. right? You don't dream about becoming like, let's say, an engineer mm. or a lawyer in a foreign country later on. Right. Like you dream about becoming an engineer using the English language like here in America. Right, right. Right. So... I mean, for these first-generation Korean-Americans, Koreans who came, their childhood dreams must have been shattered. Like, they had to have a sense of right. leaving that behind when they're coming over here. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of respect towards them, um, and I really want to honor them. Yeah. I really want to uh, show them gratitude. Um, that's really something for me in, in my life, for my parents, too. Right. Um, but yeah, that's just a really, really tough tough undertaking to risk it all and, and then move your family over to a new country yeah and it's they're pretty much guaranteed like mm. that they're gonna start from the bottom rungs of socio-economic exactly. classes right so right. there was no guarantee that there were no jobs here that were guaranteed to them or offered to them they mm -hmm. just literally just came and said hey let's just try to make a better future for our kids. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Um, and I think being that we're the products of that, of the works of the first generation, looking back, I think we can also give them like a thumbs up in the, in the fact that they, most of them succeeded. Yeah. Right. Like us Korean American, second generation um, people, like I, I, back when I first moved to the states when i was in like kindergarten in uh 1995 yeah most like doctors or like professional people who were korean were only professionals for the koreans so like a korean doctor was right. usually just a doctor for the koreans because yeah. they could speak the language right right but now more and more i see doctors who are korean american mm -hmm. who can't really speak korean yeah like when my dad had his uh, gallbladder removed right his surgeon was a korean guy yeah barely spoke korean right he like he 
he knew just enough to like reassure my dad that mm-hmm. he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like really happy that he was Korean. Yeah. I'm like, why? He doesn't even, <laughs> he can't even communicate. Yeah, you can't with even him. talk to him. But yeah. there was a sense for them, I bet, saying that, oh, one of my own is taking care of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm sure. It, and it was also like, yeah, the first generation made it. Like mm-hmm. we did set enough of a groundwork right. for our kids to become doctors, to become like, I don't know, lawyers and engineers and things like that. I mean, I'm an engineer. Yes. My, my older brother, he moved back to Korea, but he he's a lawyer. Right. Right. So like, yeah, we have a lot of examples and, and situations where, yeah, the, the thing that the first generation sought to do mm-hmm. was done really well and done in a way that we were able to kind of easily reap the benefits of, of that. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we can't, I mean, when we talk about first-generation people, I mean, do we ever question their work ethic? Oh, yeah. Do we ever question their their willingness and their desire um, to not just give up mm. um, but really want to succeed? No. I mean, mm. we know that they they had a tenacity. They had this kind of, like, unshakable will yeah. to, like, make sure, like, hey, we made this tough move mm. and we want to make sure that not only we succeed, but the ones behind us, our children succeed. Yeah. And so that's that's just all wrapped up into we have I have so much respect for them. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine if a wave of Americans were had to immigrate to another country mm. yeah. and try to make it there. Yeah. Right? That would like our frail American mindset. <laughs> like I don't know and then like our like uh, entitled American mindset. Yeah. Like if we can actually go to another country and, and thrive and like have a subset American culture within a larger culture. Right. You know, honestly, as a Korean American, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would succeed if I even went back to Korea. Oh yeah. Like I know I, I'm not like super fluent, proficient in Korean, yeah. but I'm conversationally, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But even then, just because of the lack of context in terms of the culture and yeah. things like that, I don't know how well I would do. So I, even though I have like a step up, like compared to what our parents had mm-hmm. moving to America, mm-hmm. I still like, I don't know if I would make it going to Korea. And like, sometimes I think about how I even went to school here. Like how did my parents <laughs> like, because back then there was no internet, there was no Google Translate. No. So how did they like send me to school and like put me through like elementary, middle, high school, like all these, like mm-hmm. it, it blows my mind how like, they just figured stuff out. And because exactly. like my parents, they don't, they're, they're English. I would, if I were, if it were a scale of one to 10, mm-hmm. I'll place them like two or three. Like, so <laughs> they, my parents do. Yeah. <laughs> they can barely speak the language, right. but like, man, it's. Yeah. It's, it's like one of those, it's that mentality where yeah. you just have to get things done mm. and, and there's no, there's no excuses. Like, yeah, you walk into a school office mm. and in your broken English or limited English to say, this is my son and he needs to, like, I'm sure there was a lot of yeah. hand motions and body body gestures yeah. and like, and, and trying to, you know, communicate through body language of trying to figure out, okay, how do I get the form signed right. and get him enrolled in school today? Mm-hmm. Right? And so you just have to meet um, all those situations head on. Yeah. And so... It's scary mm. to think about mm. if you had to do it yourself today, but they were willing to do that. Mm. And another thing, um, I think we were, you were just talking about it, but when they come over here, even if they had an education, 
like even if they had a degree i don't know if you ever talked to your parents about mm -hmm. their school life that they yeah. had but i have talked to my parents and she went to college my, my mom went to college yeah she has a degree but when you move over here you kind of forfeit all of that right yeah um because because you don't have the language mm. you can't work in that field for which you're trained for mm. and so you end up having to take just manual labor jobs or open a small business right. or um, just work, um, as they would say, just running hard with just effort. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of dignity that they lose there, mm. but they try to make up for it in their work ethic. Yeah. Um, and, and just knowing that if they put their nose to the ground and they work hard, um, then they would succeed. Yeah. And I think one good thing is that us as a second generation, no matter how much like friction there may be between us, um, I think a lot of the second generation Korean Americans inherited a lot of that work ethic. I hope so. Cause yeah, I hope so. Like when I when I go to work, um, yeah. for me, something that's kind of like a average everyday workload. There are coworkers who are not of the same like background and culture as I am. Right. Like they're complaining, like man, this is so much work. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's just like, hey, they're paying you all this money. Like, of course you need to do this. Yeah. So and like I see it with people. Um, around my age range like my wife who started a business softy right like her work ethic regarding that it's there's no way that we did anything to gain that it's it's such I th i'm convinced that we it was handed down to us like just maybe like through a dna or something right um because our parents yeah. our, our first generation we were such yeah but hard workers. yeah just growing up in that lifestyle yeah where parents go to work seven eight in the morning and don't come home till 10 at night mm. knowing that they've been at work all day long um there's part of our psyche that takes that in yeah and like i don't know by some form of osmosis or something like we kind of just are able to to understand that okay you can't survive um or there's like this fear that mm. you won't survive mm. unless you work that hard yeah. like that fire is like about to be lit on your behind mm. if you don't get that done right yeah. yeah i mean i wish that applied to students as well but, you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah not so much all the time but you're right you know this i mean even apart from the korean american identity like the whole next generation of mm -hmm. um being a little bit soft uh, being a little bit too weak-minded and not willing to work hard enough um yeah, it's it's evident sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I am grateful. Yeah, I, both of us, and I'm sure. Mm. I mean, if you're a second generation current American listening to this, I'm sure you'll resonate with the gratitude. Um, so you should just go to your parents right now. Just give them a hug. Yeah. Say thank you. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, yeah, there's. I mean, we just barely scratched the surface of, like all the things that the first generation did for us. Mm -hmm. um, but there, that was a lot. So it just tells you, I mean, there's probably things that we don't even know mm -hmm. to be grateful for. Like the right. sac the level of sacrifice that they make. Yeah, I'm sure it's, we will never really truly 100% understand it. Mm. Yeah. And uh, to, as a follow-up to that, I know you yes. had a secondary thought. Yeah, so the second thought is then, okay, uh, we have tremendous respect for the first generation. Mm -hmm. But talking about the 1.5 and second generation, um, if I'm talking to a first generation person, there are some things about that next generation mm. that I would hope to want them to know. 
mm. um, and convey is one thing is we didn't know all of that when we were young. Mm. Like we didn't know and understand all that you went through when you were young. David and I are sitting here right now mm. as uh, young men who are now married and, and understand how hard it is uh, to work, um, mm. yeah. raise a family, because you're about to become a father. <laughs> I'm a father of two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're beginning to see a little glimpse of mm. like thinking back, oh man, what do my parents do when we were going through, when I'm going through this, what would they do, mm. right? And so you're able to kind of connect a little bit more of what they went through now that we're a little bit older. Mm. But for to first generation, our, our, our forefathers, our fathers, like I would say, we didn't know all that when we were growing up yeah and so yes like as we were just talking about the work ethic might have been transferred um, but we didn't always know why and we didn't always appreciate it we didn't always want to be pushed so hard yeah we always sometimes we wanted to play mm-hmm. sometimes we wanted to hang out with our friends and, and when you pushed academics harder and harder or you told us to get a summer job when all of our friends were just hanging out uh, we didn't always understand that yeah. Or when you sent us to Saturday Korean school <laughs> and, and then you look around at your non-Korean, non-Asian friends and they're just like talking about, um, you know, all the fun stuff that they did with their family. Yeah. And we were wondering why, like, we didn't have more family time or mm-hmm. we didn't go on more vacations or um, we didn't get to just relax on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, we didn't know all that. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I would like to say is I think it's time for you guys to start telling your stories. Mm. Let us know what you went through. Some of the details. Yeah. um, So that we can feel you, empathize with you, and understand. Mm. Um, Because there was always this this feeling that um, you just wanted to push us because you didn't want us to fail. Like you you wanted us to succeed. But we never knew what the goal was for. We, We didn't know... What the, what the carrot at the end of the stick was going to be. Right. Um, now we're seeing it. Um, if you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s as a second-gen person, um, maybe you understand a little bit now. Mm-hmm. But when you're in elementary school, middle school, and high school, you have no idea. Yeah. Um, and so I would like to say share your story. Um, right. Tell us more. And, and there, yes, there is this kind of hardened facade a lot of times about first generation people. Mm. They don't like to sit around and, and and let you know behind the scenes of what they feel mm. and what they experience. But it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Tell us. Yeah. We want to know. And I think it's also um like growing up, they told us to study and I think they showed us like it's because of this. Like they pointed us to an end goal. Mm-hmm. But their perspective and our perspective was so different because, mm. like, there a lot of them are from like when they were kids, they experienced some of that like wartime poverty. Right. Well, if not them, like their parents did. Their parents right? always they, they grew up hearing about it so For much. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like financial stability was the goal. Like that was like if you have that, you're set. Because if you're coming from a financially unstable place, mm-hmm. of course the next step is financial stability, right? Right. But most of us grew up in financial stability. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter, like, regardless of how hard our parents had to work mm-hmm. to get it, mm-hmm. we reaped the benefits of it, we experienced it. So, right. when they were pointing us to financial stability, it didn't make sense for us, I don't think. 
Like, Probably, yeah. I, I mean, for me, for me personally, like, I grew up, like, confused because I was like, I thought happiness is the goal. But yeah. I think for our parents, financial stability might have equated to happiness. But right. for me, it was like, hey, like, I know the language. No matter how badly I screw up, mm-hmm. like, I'm since I know the culture and the language enough, like, I can do things. Like, right. I, I can get government assistance like whatever the case may be that some of the yeah. stuff that weren't available to them mm-hmm. i think are available to us so yeah i really do want to know the stories of all the first generation people yeah i do too yeah i, I want to hear about the first few years when yeah. you first immigrated uh-huh. like how was that for you like when you went to a grocery store and you can read the price labels like i mean of course you can see the product right. and all that stuff mm-hmm. but like when you were like trying to ask a question and you couldn't ask the question, how did that make you feel? Yeah. Right. Um, when you have to fill out certain documents, like every person in order to become a legal citizen, uh, like you have to fill out stuff. Like, mm. and when you can read the paperwork, like, how did you get over it? Like, how did you do it? Yeah. Like, like just all those little details. Um, yeah. And of course, I mean, there's other details of like going into American society and uh, being a little bit shunned uh, because you're not a white or black face um, and you don't speak the language well. Um, Some of those stories, too, um, highlight some of those things for us. Mm, Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think 1.5 second generation, too, if you were here in the 80s and 90s, you might have experienced some of that, too. Like, I remember going to school sometimes and being like, I feel so outnumbered. Mm, uh, it, yeah. like the idea of being a minority was very, very deeply ingrained in my heart too. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, we want to hear the stories. Yeah. And so break a little bit of that like tough mm. dad or tough mom um, kind of image that you have mm-hmm. and be willing to tell us mm. um, what you went through because um, communication and knowing the story will really open up, I think, our minds and our hearts too. Yeah, and I think in that vein, it would be nice if the second generation shared our stories with the first generation. Because I think the thing is, we both were going through our unique kind of transition things. Because like, mm-hmm. first generation, like there's language and cultural barriers. But us second generation, we grew, grew up in between cultures. You're right. Like we had one culture from our family, another culture from like Americans. And there was, there's like a clash. And yes us not really belonging to either or like we kind of grew up um really only finding like sanctuary amongst other second generation that's exactly right you know so and yeah. i don't know how many of our parents know that i feel like we both kind of just suffered in silence mm-hmm. just both kind of being bitter and mad mm-hmm. and never really sharing the stories so yeah so there's there's some uh academic kind of literature out there mm-hmm. that has studied this mm-hmm. and um I forgot the exact person is, but I think her name was Sharon Kim. She wrote a book um, about that inter, the transitional um, generation mm. being a unique culture all by itself. Mm. It, it's a third culture. Uh, it's not fully Korean or Asian. It's not fully American. And so it's a unique culture all to itself. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's something that I think my kids won't understand, mm. your kids won't understand. Mm. And our kids' kids, our grandkids won't understand. Mm. Um, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out uh, as the generations flow forward. Mm. But you're right, like, and that's that's the other thing I really want to tell first gen, um, our, our our parents yeah. is that 
we you expect us to be fully korean at home but yet fully functional as americans in american society mm-hmm. right yeah. like the success that we're talking about right yeah. so if you do become an engineer doctor or lawyer or whatever else that you might do like they want you to have all the kind of privileges and rights of being an american mm. and yet they still want you to be fully korean at home yeah and so that the next thing i would say to first gen um koreans is that was hard yeah yeah i would say it was really really hard mm-hmm. so you you were talking about it's important for us to share our story yeah i would say this to first gen people that expectation was a big weight to carry mm-hmm. at times mm-hmm. um to really fulfill your parents expectations and yet go out into society where from home you weren't trained to assimilate right away into the larger culture around you right um and then having to navigate through that um through our i remember a conversation i had with my mom right before i decided what college i was going to go to Mm. i said mom there's these colleges that have accepted me but i'm having a tough time really choosing uh, where to go um and she was like why like just go to the best one go to the one that's like has the most prestige Mm. i was like but that's not what matters what matters is like what I really want to do, what I want to study. But I feel like I've only been just in a tiny way introduced. Uh, just, just So just for background, David and I both went to the best college in the world, uh, Georgia Institute of Technology. Georgia Tech. Go Jackets. Yeah. Um, March Madness, we're not in the tournament, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> um, so when I was going to Georgia Tech, uh, in terms of, like, the engineering field, mm. I had a lot of interest in it. But I, I never felt like um, someone ever really introduced me to it. Uh, I felt like I wasn't yeah. exposed to it. And then I would look around, like, because you, when you're in high school, um, because we're Asian and we're taking rigorous, um, just the higher level courses, um, and you see non-Asians and, and where they want to go to school and what they want to do, I would hear stories about them being like, yeah, yeah, so my dad's friend from work, um, you know, like, his his friend is an engineer and mm. I got to go to his house and he showed me how he had a metal shop in the back and they're just building things. That's not his real job. It's more of his hobby. Um, but he showed me a little bit of that. And then another friend would be like, yeah, you know, my neighbor um, is a, a code, a computer programmer. Mm. Uh, he knew how to code. And so he taught me some basics of stuff. So this this AP comp side class is, is like a breeze to me. Right. And I would right. sit there and be like, well, my parents have never introduced me to stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, their friends don't run in those circles. Yeah. Their friends, you know, own dry cleaners and, and small businesses. And, you know, right. like, so you were expected to go out there and become this engineer or yeah. whatever else you want to pursue. But there was limited exposure. Yeah. Um, and, and there wasn't that kind of, hey, as your parent, I'm going to expose you to that world or that field. Yeah. And let me guide you through it. It was more of, we don't know how to do it, but you know, you right, can. Right. Because you're American. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not American. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have no introduction into that world at all. Yeah. Like, the only thing I know is how to work nine to nine and, and, and sit at a cashier and, and have products and inventory and, and like sell stuff. Right. Because that's what you did. Right. And, right and the things that they did and exposed us to 
they didn't want us to do at all. Right. Yeah. They said, no, you're going to do better than this. Yeah. We don't want you to do this. Uh. And so that I think that was what something that I want first generation people to understand is yeah, it's hard. And I think um, culturally, there are like s- small nuances that mm-hmm. because of the way that I grew up, I wasn't very well equipped to do when I like went out into the working uh, quote unquote real world. Right. I remember when I first had my first job, mm-hmm. I addressed my like my direct manager. He was like really old. He was he um, retired like four years after I first started. But like I called his name was Dave Gorman. I called him Mr. Gorman like mm-hmm. when I first met him. He's like right. And then he like looked at me weird, like you just call me Dave. Mm-hmm. And then like I would do stuff like, hey, I'm I'm about to go take my lunch break, and then he'd be like, you don't have to tell me. You don't me. have to report that. To yeah, him, right? just yeah. just go and just come back. Like yeah. I trust you, and like I I really I'm grateful for the kind of um, innate and kind of just default stance that we have toward like more elderly people, right? Which right. is like always just respect, right? Right. But Our this Confucius background. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but. Um, I think in the workplace, especially, um, the, you need to have a level of confidence to kind of portray that you know what you're doing and stuff. So that level of adoration for the... Um, your supervisor or yeah. your, your manager, or your person in authority over you. Yeah, it, it wasn't always a benefit or advantage to have. And that's something that, because it was so ingrained in me, mm-hmm. it took me a while to kind of get rid of, like... Mm-hmm okay, I'll call you Dave, but I'm still going to treat you like you're way above me. And kind of, and I think um, there are little things like that, I think, because our parents expected us to be a certain way at home, right. that that seeped into our American life right. that American people didn't really know how to like respond well to. Yeah. And conversely, mm-hmm. if you took that American culture and brought it back home with you one day, oh, yeah. oh <laughs> what would happen then? Yeah. You know, you'd just be like, Oh yeah, hey, you know, no. like if you even if you greet like like your parents' friend, and let's let's say they have a, a, a child mm. who's just a little bit older than you, right? And if you don't use that "hyung nuna onni opa" like kind of terminology yeah. with them, and maybe you are having like a family, you know, two families getting together to hang out, and if you just happen to call them by their first name. Your parents would be like, or their parents would be like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, oh, hey, we're Korean Americans. Mm. Like, you're not American at home. <laughs> you need to be Korean at home. Yeah. And so there's just, as you were describing, just that need to always take off our Asianness or mm. Koreanness when we go out into American culture. Yeah. But then when we come home, we got to take off our Americanness. Yeah. And to have to switch back and forth all the time. Mm. Um, and I, I, I describe this a lot because I am a pastor. Mm. I see that in church a lot mm, mm. where in a Korean American church context, they don't want you to be American. Right. They want you to be Korean. Right. Yeah. So even if you're walking down the hallways and you see other first generation people, your elders, people who are older than you, you're expected to be Korean. Yeah. 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 And so what I want to say to first generation people is that's hard for us. Oh, yeah. So Very if hard. that student walks by you at church and doesn't insult to you, doesn't give you a proper greeting that you expect, don't be so hard on them. Yeah, yeah. And actually, let's take that another level. Yes. I'm going to keep this anonymous just to protect the person's identity. Okay. I know someone who works in an American company. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, this person worked there for a few years, and then after her, some other Korean ajushi or Korean like older male mm-hmm. joined the company. And in that setting, it gets awkward because you don't know which culture to put on. Right. right? And this person that I know yes. said, "Oh, hi," and walked by. Mm-hmm. And the ajushi was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Like, you don't talk to me like that. You're supposed to, like, insult to me. You're supposed to right. like, bow and you're supposed to formally greet me. greet me. Right. Right. And, like, the the person that I know was like, what the heck? You know, like. We're in American society here. Not only American society, this is an American company. It's right. not like this person was like, if, if, if this was at church, like a Korean church, that would have been a little different. I think there's a little bit more of an understanding at a Korean church. Right. That um, they... Especially if you're kind of a more mature second generation, you kind of know and you're expected to do. Mm-hmm. But in a complete, completely American setting where they're where you're expected to even just speak English to one another, mm-hmm. like for the first generation to have that expectation, I think yes, I think there needs to be a little bit more leeway in, you know, exactly, and not being too harsh in that situation. Because like, yeah. I, I don't know. So I mean. To not be unfair to the first generation, yeah. mm-hmm. but the majority of examples that we've seen is that they are harsh. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, that's not trying to be unfair to them, but they usually are very harsh about it. Right. If we don't wear the right hat at the right time, mm-hmm. and so first generation people, like, please hear us to say that it's difficult for us to navigate. Oh yes, it is so hard for us to understand. Like, as you're describing the situation that you just did about yeah. that person, like, who would have thought that? Yeah. Like, you're an American company. Yeah. Like, and, and everyone is greeting each other by first name. Yeah. And, and just saying hello and just the American way of greeting each other. Yeah. Like, where's where's the law that says the expectation is, like, <laughs> we have to treat each other like Koreans. Right. Right. Uh, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. Mm. And I, it's just, uh, I think first generation they might have a little bit of we're trying to keep the culture alive yeah like we're trying to pass it down on to you mm-hmm. but because we, we don't have a precedent like we don't have a some generation that we can look at mm-hmm. and say oh they went through what we're going through so we'll just mimic them mm-hmm. like us as second generations i think we might be the first and probably the last to have this kind of like i don't know I don't know the word I'm looking for. This interaction between right. generations. It's like, kind of unspoken, yeah. unwritten, assumed, but not really sure. Right. Middle ground kind of place. Yeah, because we're stuck in between cultures. And the culture that came before us is saying that they're making the rules and you got to follow us. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they're saying, but we don't want you to be like us. Like go out there and make your own way and be better than us. Mm. So I totally resonate with what you're saying right now. Like this odd like navigating through the landmine of like <laughs> cultural like appropriateness mm-hmm. i think is very difficult it's yeah. very difficult yeah yeah so that leads to the next thing for me that i yeah. really want to say to the first gen is also um that all 1.5 second generation people are not the same mm. but they don't all approach this topic with the same mentality right um and sometimes, uh, let's just go back to the church example. Yeah. Um, first generation people tend to just look at 
all the products of the first generation children to be lumped in one large group. Hmm. But we know that that's not the same. Yeah, yeah. Like the the first the Korean Americans who are are now in our church who might have immigrated here in the seventies and eighties hmm. is different from the students or the people who might have come here in the nineties and two thousands. Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah, um, the cultures are different, and even within each group, whatever era or whatever decade you came here. There were those who leaned more heavily to the American side, mm. and there were those who leaned more heavily to the Korean side. Like I, I get amazed sometimes even now mm. when I look around and I see, you know, uh, I don't want to say students, but like my younger brothers and sisters right. uh, who are in their twenties and teens, and they've been they were born here, but they know more about Korean culture than me. Mm. They speak Korean better than me, mm. oh, so wow. they totally. Even though they were born in America, they have totally embraced the Korean side of things. Yeah, and then there's the totally opposite way, and there's more, I guess, more examples sometimes of the opposite way. Right, where there are a lot of our friends and 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 those who came, who are second gen, who have completely embraced the American side of things, and it's not even a language thing, but it's even a mentality thing, mm. where they're they want to be more American than Korean. Yeah, um, some are even ashamed or embarrassed that they have Korean heritage. Mm. Um, and they try to distance themselves from it as far as they, they, they can. Right. Um, and so even within the, the group of 1.5 second-gen people, there are so many different subset cultures within it. Yeah. And so what I want to say the first-gen, and maybe another day we can talk to second-gen separately. Yeah, but, yeah, I would love but that. But what I want to say the first-gen is don't think of everyone to be the same yeah um we're not all just one class we're not just one group Mm. Uh, everyone has approached this topic of identifying themselves as korean americans in a different different way Mm. they weigh it differently they have you know followed their dreams differently yeah they have lived out their lives differently and so yes there's just that common sense of being korean american um, there's the, the physical features, the kind of identity, but, but the mentality can be completely different. Yeah, yeah. So when you, and what I mean by you, the first generation, when you try to, I don't know, um, convey your thought, don't expect it to land the same way to everybody. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is now is that, a lot of these second-gen people are adults now. Yeah. Uh, they're in their 40s and 50s. So they're not just your children anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they're adults yeah. who make adult decisions and live adult lives and who have kids in college or who, are ki- who have kids now who are now graduating college. Mm. And so they're not just all just kids. Mm. Um, and they've grown up in this unique fashion. So... Listen to them, hear their stories, yeah. and like want to get to know them. Um, I hope and and wish that more first gen people would sit down and hear the conversation, like have conversations and listen to what the second gen had to navigate through. All that right. David and I are describing right now, mm-hmm. all these little things, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and really hear that. Yeah, and it's it's funny because whenever I talk to people about mm-hmm. this kind of struggle. Um, with the first and second generation, it's only been with second generation people. Like I don't, 
I'm actually not even sure if they know that these, like the first generation knows that these conversations are even happening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it's just second generation saying, man, they're so old school. They're so old fashioned. Right. Like they don't understand us. So strict and restrictive. Yeah. And, and like, it's like, they don't know about like the struggles that we went through and all that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like this is a very one-sided conversation and I would love to hear the other side. Me too. I would so love it if, if there are any English speaking first generation people out there who have like opposing thoughts on this or like just thoughts on the other side of this conversation. Yeah. Just grab a second generation person and just Mm. tell them, like talk to them about it. Tell your kids. It's, I think that's really the only way that any sort of reconciliation can happen. I mean, in my position at a Korean American church being on staff, you know, I do have the opportunity to speak to a lot of first-generation people. Mm. Um, oh, that, when, is that why your Korean is so good? Sometimes. <laughs> like, you have to, like, be able to have conversations uh, and stuff and, uh. and things like that. But, um, yeah, when, you're right. Like, when I really hear them, mm. it's um, not always. I mean, there are a lot who want to hear first. Mm. Um, but a lot of them, most of the time, it's just reminding me of what, they had to go through mm. and saying, you need to do better. Mm. You need to do more than us. Mm. Um, a couple of years back, um, I was part of a, a team that uh, was trying to have a church revival, ser- like a week-long revival mm-hmm. of services like consecutively on multiple days. Uh, and it was going to be a Korean ministry, English ministry combined revival. Mm-hmm. And one aspect of that revival, one key point that we wanted to do was uh, we were going to have a um, first-generation person read an open letter, uh. open letter to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And then we had a second gen- 1.5 second-generation person read an open letter oh, yeah. to the first generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second-generation representative was for, actually from our church, yeah. uh, our sister Helen. Helen Bay. Helen Bay. Shout, Shout out to Helen. <laughs> uh, he Bay. Uh. Um, and so I remember that time when uh, we were setting that up. Like it was supposed to be a very touching, sentimental, but really bridge building like like moment. Yeah. But it fell short a little bit. Mm. And here was the reason why. The the first generation person when they read their letter, it was all apologies toward not giving more material things to you. Uh. Like we're sorry that we didn't work harder or we didn't give you more. And and so as a second gen person like me, um, th- that's kind of water beneath the bridge. Like, yeah. like the like as you were talking about earlier, like we never felt like we didn't have enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are many families that struggle. So let's not, you know, like right. kind of yeah. dismiss their experience. And there were a lot of families who had financial difficulty. Yes, mm. but it was more of that. Like we want the parent to child or human to human connection yeah and we wanted to hear more of the we understand what you had to go through how Mm -hmm. tough must have been for you to to live with a parent who didn't speak the language that you had to speak or something along those lines but it wasn't really that kind of message the message was we're sorry that we didn't give you more Mm. and like okay so my honda accord that i got in high school it should have been a mercedes-benz right like (laughs) I mean, like, would that have made life better for mm, us? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. Like, 
know, I wanted sure. to hear more about like we saw you, we see you, and we are looking forward to your future. Yeah. And so that moment felt a little flat mm. than what I wanted. Yeah. But it was it was still good because I believed that it was progress, mm. that that kind of open conversation could happen. Mm. Um, but I'm still hoping for more. Yeah. No, but I think what that does do is it brings to light and identifies mm. the mindset that the first generation is coming from exactly like if their thinking is we're sorry we didn't give you enough then like it kind of just like it kind of makes me feel a certain way like man like i got so much because like like you were saying of course there are our families who financially struggle but i don't know how how many faced like real like starvation or like real issues with having shelter like in this country, I don't know how often that happened. There might be, but at least in our circle, circles, yeah. I don't know. It's, it was usually a situation of, oh, I, I can't get a car because my parents don't have money. Yeah. But then it's not like you're starving or anything, right? No. So um, I, even that, like just having the basic necessities fulfilled, like at given, like I, I feel like I got a lot. And it makes me sad that they think that they didn't give us enough. And another kind of, kind of um look that i got into it was yeah. that their standard was much much higher mm. so as you're describing like yeah we might have always had a home yeah uh, we might not have been able to purchase as many cars as we wanted mm. or, or other wants but our needs were met yeah and and that's more than enough for us as children but it, it also kind of gives us insight into that the fact that their standard was much much higher mm, right. which i would say as a broad generalization, culturally in Korea, mm. that's what's happened, right? Mm. So like in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they pushed for economic prosperity. And then after the IMF in the late 90s, yeah. starting in early 2000, 2004, 5, what, what, what transition happened? It was this like amazing economic boom. Yeah. And so now the levels of like the upper echelon of Korea mm. is way, way higher than what it was 20 years ago. Right, yeah. And so it gives us insight that their their standard was much, much higher. Mm. Like they wanted to be rich. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there's no way to, around it, but they wanted to be rich. Mm. And that mentality still exists today. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, maybe we can go into the last thing and say, hey, first generation parents, success can be defined in many ways. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like many ways. Mm. It's just not. You don't have to have the biggest house mm. and the best car and eat the most expensive food in order for you to think that you've done your duty as yeah. a parent. Yeah. Like, I think if we, when I and, and both of us, when we talk to a lot of our friends about some of the conflicts that they have with their parents, some of the issues that they have, it's always them pushing um, us to, to go after that that economic prosperity mm. but success can be defined in so many ways yeah and i would hope that as we continue to pass down our culture that our culture isn't always going to be identified um as the one that pursues success only in monetary gains yeah yeah i don't know what do you think about no that? i i totally agree with that because the the thing that if I were to engage in a conversation with the first gen, I think one of the questions I would ask is, didn't you sacrifice your dreams so that we can fulfill ours? Mm -hmm. And I think 
their view of a, what a dream should be is always like measured in some sort of economic financial way but um like success like you were saying i think ultimately is is like happiness right yeah. as a christian i would actually define success as like your level of relationship with christ right and a lot of times i don't like that doesn't always correlate with the financial gains that you have mm -hmm. like so for me personally um like this past year has been kind of a awakening kind of year for me mm -hmm. um like i like i wrote my books i started this podcast like i started just doing a lot of things that i wanted to do right because i felt like i fulfilled my sonly duties to my parents to your parents yeah. like my parents like okay my, my mom is like she's like the sweetest woman ever she's like super right. nice but she was a fierce tiger mom growing mm -hmm. up so like she made sure that me and my brother like went to all the sat like uh, hagwans and all, all that kind of stuff um so like like and because me and my brother like loved her so much we wanted to give that to her like mm -hmm. okay my so my brother went to law school like i went to engineering school like we, we did all these all these things but um for me like that money and like the financial stability meant so little um like it didn't it didn't provide any like increased amounts of happiness yeah and like I found myself thinking, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, thankfully, I had church, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I derived a lot of my purpose in church, um, doing like serving with you, you right? Know, teaching youth group and all right. that kind of stuff. Um, but like, just purely having my identity rooted in my work life, I think would have been so detrimental to my mental health. Oh yeah, and um, like, I think it would have broken my parents' like hearts to see if I had fallen into that hole. Mm -hmm. Like for them to see that, I think it would break their hearts. And so for the first generation who are still pushing yeah. for financial gains above like actual happiness, mm -hmm. uh, I think you have to understand that money doesn't bring happiness. No, it will not. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not like, like me and me and my wife, like we got married two years ago. We already have a townhome. Like we're financially, we're very comfortable. Um, but both of us started like side hustles right like right like my wife again like she started the business I, I started doing other like creative things and that was because we knew that um there was a part of i mean of course like for both of us like church being like a, a christian being such a core part of our our identity like that kept us going this long but like now that we're like out on our own and we have so much more free time on like on the weekdays and stuff mm -hmm. i think we decided hey we're not gonna let our work life dictate who we are of course and um we're not gonna let what the world thinks is success yeah satiate us mm -hmm. because it really doesn't yeah. satisfy us no it doesn't yeah i mean i know i understand that for the first generation that that's a hard understanding for them to come around mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. as we were describing if they're working 12, 14, 16 hour days. I mean, work is life for them. Mm. Like a lot of the narrative of our peers is that they grew up sometimes n with no one at home, mm. uh, like latchkey kids, like where they would just come home from school and they would be on their own mm. till eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night until their parents would come home. And so to, to our parents, work not being your life, mm. And, and that defining success for you, it's a hard shift. Yeah. 
it's hard to break free from that. Yeah. Um, but let's have that conversation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and not even just in the Korean American culture, but in all cultures, like we see people all the time hmm. who burn out at work when they make work their priority and they try to define their lives, their identity, their, their definition of success by work yeah. and working hard and working up and getting up the, the ladder of whatever you're trying to climb up. We see people all the time burn out yeah. and all of a sudden come to a realization. You know, the, 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 the terms midlife crisis and now the more popular one, the quarter life yeah. crisis, right? Yeah. Like those things are real. Yeah. And so, you know, I just want our parents to know that there are different alternate paths mm. to truly find success. Right. That yeah. prioritizes something a little bit different. Mm. And so... Yeah, you know, one thing that we didn't really talk about right now in this conversation is mm. reputation. How uh, much reputation matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even that too, like I really want to tell first-gen parents that reputation, it can be important. And in some ways it does serve a purpose, mm. but it's not the only thing you should live for. Right, yeah. You know, there's a, always that running joke amongst second-gen peers, right? Like, ah, oh, I didn't make it to the Ivy League college. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to disappoint my parents. Yeah, yeah. And even those who do make it, as you were describing earlier, they're just, so, I mean, a, some are brilliant. They're passionate about what they want to do. So they have pursued that kind of path mm. to where they want to go to school and beyond mm -hmm. because they know what they want to do. Hey, all power to you. Go to the Ivy League college. Go make it. Yeah. But some go there just because it's the name recognition. Yeah, yeah. And, and it brings their parents honor because their reputation goes up. Right, yeah. And living for that in a lot of ways, um, fair or unfair, is, is shallow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things, I guess, as a pastor that breaks my heart sometimes is that even in the church, the mentality exists. Mm where we have to live for reputation. We have to live for numbers. Hey, I go to this church and it has this much prestige. Oh, you go to that church versus this church. Um, and that's not why the church exists. Right. Yeah. And, and to be honest, more pertinent to this conversation, it's not why family exists. Mm. Family doesn't exist so that we can only be pushing for economic gain and reputation. Right. Uh, there's something much more valuable than that. Relationship. Yeah. Love understanding and loyalty to one another trust mm. um, and all these things i mean to be quite frank bring deeper levels of satisfaction and truer levels of success mm. than just money and reputation yeah yeah and just just to bring it kind of like full circle yeah i think the fact that we're talking about this is a luxury afforded to us because of the groundwork that the first generation gave of course. us. Yeah, like, because I'm sure, like, when you're, like, trying to survive, it's really hard to think about relationships and, like, kind of, like, making an actual sound family. Like, all you probably think about is, where am I going to get the money to feed my family for the next meal kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, I think um, this conversation, I think, is very good. And I hope that it kind of, like, inspires other people to have this, intercultural intergenerational conversations yes yeah i'm very moved i actually i might talk to my parents 
yeah, uh, we this should. weekend. Yeah, yeah to, we need to. To kind of get their understanding. We need yeah. to sit down with them and hear from them first. Yeah. Um, generally, my experience is pretty good to start by saying, how are you doing? And then listen first. Mm. Um, but then ask them, hey, can I tell you a story too? And, and see if they're willing to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, thank you so much for coming today. I think oh, yeah. this conversation was so valuable. Um, I'm just going to plug a few things before we sign off. Um, if, if you want to plug anything, think about that. Because <laughs> okay. I, know, I know you have a lot of things going on too. Um, yeah, so I actually wrote a blog post um, on my newly designed website. It's davidhshin.com. Uh, um, the blog post is uh, my reflection of my immigrant life. Mm. it's it's kind of it's it's just a i was thinking about it the other day and i was thinking about what impacted me in my life um and this was it's just one story that really impacted me so i'm not going to tell you what it's about because i want you to go and read it go read it go check it out <laughs> yeah and um i also want to plug uh a musician that we both know um lydia yoon yes she actually wrote a song that's um called maum i forget the the title is either 심장으로 말해 or 마음으로 말해. Mm-hmm. Um, translation like tell it through the heart. Yes, and it's a song about like every verse is like from either the first generation's perspective or the second generation's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I heard it, I legit cried because yes. it's like it like captures the emotions and like yeah. kind of the thought behind um the, each generation so well. Um, I don't think she's recorded it yet. I heard it live. Um, and I, but she told me that she was going to record it um, sometime in the future and release yeah. it. So if you don't know who Lydia Yoon is, go on Spotify, look up Lydia Yoon. Um, her single Together is out. Yes. So listen to that um, just to kind of get you primed for the song. And then later on when she releases the song, listen to it and it'll break it'll break your heart. Break your heart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anything you want to talk about? No. no? Um, yeah, just follow us on Instagram for our church. Yeah. It's at Sugarloaf International. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is where we are as a community, um, and we are a collection of 1.5 second generation and some third generation people That's right. um, yeah. and who are trying to live out this life and, and figure it out and still pursue God in our hearts, um, but really honor our parents in the process. Mm. And so we're trying to walk that journey together, yeah. and it matters to us. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if this episode resonated with you in any way, if um, you disagreed with anything we said, please let us know at uh, IHTHT podcast at gmail.com. It's I hope they hear this abbreviated podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. And I'm sure wait, you want to come back for uh, oh, addressing the second generation. Oh, I can talk time. about so much, David. Awesome. Take me, bring me back and I'll bring more takes. Perfect. You, we have that recorded so he can't see you next time <laughs> bye guys